0: when we started, there was literally just a couple of ICT for agricultural interventions that you could count on your hand uh, in markets like India. Now there's more than 600 agricultural startups in India that have gotten $500 million worth of investment in just the last one year alone. And they're all working on various parts of you know the agricultural development ecosystem, from drone startups to agricultural financing to marketplaces, uh, the whole gamut. I would say so, you Yeah, it's a a vast variety. But I would say that the thing that drives us in terms of the direction that we focus on is somewhat based on our own experience. For instance, the video work, it seems like maybe out of nowhere. But in a lot of ways, even when I had my own dreams of wanting to go to space, where did those come from? They were from watching old 1960s grainy footage of astronauts walking on the surface of the moon that inspired me to like want to study science and engineering to follow in their footsteps and in the same way we've ended up with video or even like this reality tv show and wonder village it's sort of like an empathetic thing to say that we play these games we derive entertainment as well as other types of value from them is there a way that they can also be extended into these communities that we're serving as well. So that there's that unique dimension, I think, that we take in terms of the explorations that we focus on.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Aid Evolved. And I'm your host, Rowena Luke. This is a podcast about technology, poverty, and health. In this space, we'll be capturing the human stories of people who are fighting poverty or working to improve healthcare, and thinking maybe technology could help us do it a bit better. My hope is that we'll be able to piece together a few lessons learned from their stories to help those of us that are trying to do the same. Today, I am thrilled to welcome and Gandhi to our show. Rikin is the founder and CEO of Digital Green. If you're in the agriculture space and interested in technology, you'll hear about these guys soon. They're best known for an intervention which I'll call community video, basically training farmers to record and share videos about best agricultural practices with other farmers. But community video isn't the only thing that Digital Green does. They have a bunch of tricks up their sleeves, which we'll talk about more in this episode. They've reached 2 million farmers across six countries in South Asia and Africa. In the conversation we're about to have, Rican and I chat about his bumpy journey, taking an idea to a multinational organization. We talk about his culture of experimentation And we chat a bit about the complexities of working in agriculture, where there is a myriad of private actors. And what is the role of aid in such a space? To start our conversation, Rickon shares a few words about his childhood dreams.
0: I was born and raised in the U.S. And growing up, I was actually most inspired by astronauts, reading various articles about uh, astronauts getting themselves into space made me want to think about how can I put together that same combination of brains and brawn to get my 15 minutes in space.
1: That's awesome. But I think you're not an astronaut now, unless I got something very wrong when setting up this podcast.
0: (laughs) That's correct. Um, (laughs) I, I, I may have gone down that path, but essentially when I was growing up, I was looking at these biographies of these astronauts who had gotten to space and was trying to put together my own playbook to do the same. But while I was in the application process with the Air Force, I started to look at the second half of these astronauts' biographies about what did these astronauts do after they had achieved their life's dream and come back to Earth.
1: I've never looked into that. Indeed.
0: (laughs) And (laughs) what I found was a good share of them would come back to Earth and want to reconnect with the world and its people after seeing the Earth from above and seeing it as in a unique place in the cosmos. And some of them would become public school teachers uh, or even farmers huh. in, <laughs> to, to reconnect.
1: Wow, you saw this and you thought, okay, well, maybe I'll just skip that step and go directly to the, to the next part.
0: Well, it wasn't so clear cut. I, I was in the application <laughs> process. It took longer than it typically does because I needed to get eye surgery. But while I was kind of uh, in that extended application process, I had some friends who were starting up a biodiesel venture in rural India. And that's what brought me wow. out to uh, Maharashtra in India back in 2006 with these friends who were ty- trying out this biodiesel venture, which essentially flopped the moment that I got there.
1: Oh no, <laughs> that must have been disheartening for you when you showed up. Was it the day you showed up or how did that happen? It was literally the
0: same week that I showed up that <laughs> I think my <laughs> friends realized that this business model that had won some of these social entrepreneurship competitions and looked good on paper wasn't really going to make much practical sense because these farmers oh, just man. didn't really want to switch over from oh, food no. crops to oil bearing crops that you need for this kind of biodiesel venture.
1: You'd already bought your ticket. You were already in the country. Did you get on a plane and leave? Or?
0: I was sort of debating what to do. But uh, for me, it was actually kind of very interesting to be in this new space. I had been out to India you know, growing up to meet various relatives. Uh, but this was my first time to uh, villages of India. And what was inspiring for me was to see how there was a small demographic of farmers who saw agriculture as a source of prosperity. They had a nice house, they had motorbikes, they were sending their kids to school, while the vast majority of farmers were like, we wanna get out of this thing as quickly as possible and move ourselves to the city. So that that was some curious thing that that kind of stuck on with me and and made me want to stay in the space longer.
1: So you had an idea in your head of this thing that you wanted to figure out. What happened from there?
0: I just sent out a cold email to uh, Microsoft Research's uh, Technology for Emerging Markets group because I had Mm -hmm. seen some work that was on their website that they were playing around with using technology with a sugarcane cooperative. And I just wanted to learn more about what they were up to and try to see if there might be a way that I could join forces with this failed attempt at a biodiesel startup (laughs) and my background, which is in technology, and to see if there might be a way to bring agriculture and technology together.
1: They must not get a lot of cold emails like that. You must have sent them a pretty good email. I'm guessing you heard back from them.
0: I did. And I had a meeting with now one of the Main champions of the ICT for agriculture and, and development space in general, Kentaro Toyama and his colleagues. And huh. he often will narrate how, after that meeting, how unimpressed he was uh, oh, with, no. with me and how he thought I was just <laughs> towing the line of the promise of technology without a real grounded sense of how it could actually make an impact. Um, and, oh, he, <laughs> and yet, one of his <laughs> other colleagues was like, Well, you know, this is a young, <laughs> interested, you know, Indian American guy, you know, maybe he can join up with us and maybe get huh. that grounding. And, and so they took a chance. And that's <laughs> kind of where my journey of Digital Green
1: began. <laughs> well, bless the other person who put in a good word for you. So you got in and you were able to, to do some work with Microsoft Research, which is a great organization. I think there's a lot of great ideas that came out of it. Where did the idea for what was going to become Digital Green emerge? Where did it start? So, when we
0: started Digital Green as a research project, we were looking at what folks were doing with and without tech in the agricultural space. And actually, it was outside of agriculture that uh, a project called Digital Study Hall was Mm -hmm. founded by a a computer science professor from Princeton University, Randy Wang, and a principal of a private school in Lucknow, Urvashi Sunvi. And they had created what was called Digital Study Hall, where they would basically record the videos of private school teachers teaching after school to slum school kids, science, math, and English lessons, and then share them with uh, surrounding government school teachers to essentially uh, use it as a crutch to improve the pedagogy in the classroom and over time just become better teachers. And so there was an interest to see, hey, how can that same model perhaps translate in the agricultural space.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So and one of the things I find fascinating about your story is that there's a lot of researchers out there. There's a lot of ideas. You know, there's different research labs and papers that publish things that are interesting. But you actually went on from your time in Microsoft Research to, to found an organization and do a lot of things that we'll, we'll get to and we'll talk about. Tell me a bit about when you decided to make that particular shift. Like when did it move from being a research project with some promise to something that you decided needed to be a little bit bigger than a research project?
0: We were basically part of Microsoft Research for about three years, uh, where we were trying various combinations of who should produce videos, who should show videos, what should be our role versus the NGO, versus the community's role in all of this. And it was a bunch of like qualitative experimentation, followed by some quantitative studies to evaluate uh, in a control condition what is the cost benefit of uh, this approach hmm. of using videos by and for farmers uh, vis-a-vis what the what an NGO was doing face-to-face uh, in, in terms of training farmers on improved practices. And after we had published some of these papers documenting some of these qualitative and, and quantitative results, then we decided, well, you know, there's basically two paths at Microsoft Research. Either you're going to move on to the next research question and the next paper <laughs> to be written or mm-hmm. to spin it off into an independent organization. And, you know, I, I was personally involved in a lot of that initial work, and I, I really was excited to see how could we take this uh, beyond just this one NGO, beyond just what we were trialing at, in a research sort of context, to really see, does it hold if you expand it to other organizations in other contexts?
1: Yeah, even the initial research questions that you pose, those are huge questions. Uh, and it's, it's great that Microsoft gave you a, a three-year runway to figure out those pieces. And at the same time, it's very easy to to coast along that route. You know, you're at, you're at a research lab, you're getting a great salary. So I imagine someone was giving you some kind of guidance. But you decided to strike out on your own. You, know, you decided to create an organization. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you hadn't created many organizations before you created this one.
0: No, there was no aspiration of even creating an organization. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, oh, I would interesting. say, uh, I don't know what kind of background I have, but I, it's maybe more suited towards research. <laughs> and the last yeah. thing that I was interested <laughs> in was setting up an organization. I remember the person who was, in addition to Kentaro, the other kind of co-founder of Digital Green at Microsoft Research was... Uh, a person named Rajesh Viragalan, and I remember for the longest time he was like, "You just need to rent an office and just buy some chairs and start <laughs> operating." And I was like, "What are we operating?" <laughs> so that was the, the last possible thing was to. I off. like
1: this guy. It sounds like a go-getter. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> And so what what did you do in those first couple of years?
0: When we were still a research project, you know, I was the one behind the camera and I was, I shot literally the first 200 odd films. And this made no <laughs> sense because one, I don't really like video.
1: <laughs> Two, I don't really know. You must be quite the cinematographer by now, I think. <laughs> I don't 200 so. films?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so.
1: Two, I don't oh, know. We should if we pull, those, pull those up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Two,
0: I don't think I know very much about agriculture. And. Uh, three, my, my local language capacities were, were very minimal. And so <laughs> when we decided to spin off, we did actually end up needing to build a team because very clearly we could do the work that we, were, we had started in research much better with other people <laughs> besides myself <laughs> who actually had these skills. And that was one of the first things that we did was to bring on like a small team of former NGO and even fresh grads from a particular program in India that had been set up, which was an ICT and agriculture master's program where agricultural graduates got into a two-year program to get some of their uh, feet wet with some information and technology kind of courses. And these turned out to be the exact fit for the kind of work that we were doing. And pretty much Nowhere else at the time <laughs> uh, in 2006 was anyone else thinking about digital agriculture.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. That's It's so fortuitous that you found that that particular group of people. Also, Rikin, you need to find the very first video that you ever recorded of the farmers, and we got we to gotta put it in the show notes or something. <laughs> it must be terrible. It's literally
0: <laughs> footage of somebody's foot for five minutes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Can you dive in a little bit more and just unpack what the particular thing is and how it works. Uh, Again, for those that are not familiar with Digital Green, that intervention that you honed uh, at Microsoft Research and that created the initial basis of the kind of work that you were doing?
0: Yeah, so the the way that it works is that we partner with an existing organization that already works with farming communities. Typically, this is a Ministry of Agriculture, Rural Development, or at times it's also another NGO or a private agribusiness that already has a grassroots level program wherein they're training farmers on ways to improve their productivity or access to markets, um, maybe through demonstration plots or farmer field schools. And what we then do is we train folks at a, at a district level uh, within the teams of these partner organizations to produce short eight to 10 minute testimonials, demonstrations of these very same practices, but really featuring local farmers as the stars. And then these videos are shown Uh, at a village level using mobile Pico projectors, which are battery operated. New videos are loaded by SD card and are basically taken by these village level extension agents to small groups of farmers or women's self-help groups who end up watching one new video every two weeks in sync with the cropping season and location. And then where data and feedback is collected about who watched what video, what questions they had, and then what practices they did or did not do afterwards to inform the production and distribution of the next set of videos.
1: Nice, that sounds fun. Everyone likes a good movie. These Pico projectors attached to a phone, is it? Why aren't those more popular? It sounds like a good idea. It sounds like a great way to reach an audience. Like what's the state of the technology on those things?
0: It's really improved. You know, when we we first started Digital Green as a research project, there were no such devices. We were literally Hmm. trucking around a CRT television set with a VCD player connected to a lead acid battery. And we would truck around. Oh, it
1: sounds <laughs> heavy. Your poor back. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs>
0: to, to various parts of the village to kind of get groups of farmers excited. Uh, but yeah, nowadays, it's the size of your cell phone. It doesn't need to be connected to a separate phone. You just load mm-hmm. in SD cards directly into the device and, and are able to show these uh, oh. videos in a 27 to 30 inch diagonal type of screen projected onto somebody's wall in, in a village setting. I would say that um, it's pretty popular amongst some of our government partners and NGO partners who end up procuring this equipment. In some ways, they actually prefer procuring this kind of equipment because it is somewhat more specialized and is less Mm -hmm. likely to be abused uh, like mobile phones can be, since they can be obviously used for lots of different purposes. Yeah, that makes sense. If
1: you see someone wandering around with a Pico projector, I'm guessing you'll know where it came from. Do you have any stories that you'd like to share of a particular beneficiary or intervention that that you were a part of?
0: In the early beginnings, when I was behind the camera in some of these villages outside of Bangalore, where we were working with an NGO called Green Foundation, I ended up shooting a film of a widowed woman uh, who was concocting a biofertilizer in her uh, own farm. And she wanted to share that uh, with others in her community. But the thing was, she was actually physically ostracized from the village, literally to the outskirts of its border. So we took this video and we brought it to the center of the village. And what was really cool was that the farmers who were watching these videos were like asking questions like, why is this woman in a video? And we have nothing to learn from her. But then as the video progressed, they started to be like, wait, is this for real? We, we need to go and visit her <laughs> farm to actually check it out. Huh. And it was really cool that like this, these social and kind of caste uh, and gender sort of divides uh, between these community members was somewhat crossed uh, by them seeing a peer having something to share that they would otherwise not have expected.
1: Nice. That's awesome. That's really cool. It's incredible to hear sometimes how technology, which One often thinks about as being this impersonal, technical, you know, mechanical thing can bring people together, you know, like it gives it creates this unusual, new, innovative space where someone can look at someone else that they've seen literally every other day, the rest of their lives, but see them in a completely new light and learn from them. That's a really cool story to hear. So let's talk about those early years as you were getting things moving with digital green. What were some of the risks that you took?
0: Yeah, we tried a lot of different things. In the very beginning, you know, I was like literally walking around with a backpack and a camera uh, with a tripod and a microphone set up that I would just go around to different farmers to be like, hey, would you be willing to be in a video? (laughs) Most of the time, they were super excited. (laughs) But uh, over time, when they got to see that these videos were actually being shown in their own communities. They actually saw this as like an opportunity to be seen as like a role model uh, within their, their peer community. So, you know, the first question that people ask when they watch these videos, which was different from what we uh, initially expected, was not about the return on investment or the economics of a particular agricultural practice, but like, what's the name of the person in the video and which village is she or she from? Uh,
1: that makes sense. <laughs> I guess it's a very like, personal connection. And there's something there about that, that understanding or that empathy with the individual on the screen which you're not going to get from any other kind of mechanism you know from from watching television or listening to the radio or anything like that but when you when you left Microsoft research what was your runway like after that, you know, I'm imagining you in the village, wandering around with your camera, like how are you paying for your food and your equipment? And like, you know, when you hired those people, how did that happen?
0: Yeah, for, uh, for about the first year and a half or so, we didn't actually have any money. <laughs> uh, I actually wasn't <laughs> on some like- I'm so sorry. <laughs> I wasn't on some high paid researcher salary of MSR. I was actually on some kind of research associate uh, low paid <laughs> grade at Microsoft. <laughs> And even the initial team that we brought in, they ended up having to forego uh, their salaries for the first uh, oh, wow. year or so because, um, because we weren't actually able to even move money from uh, the U.S. to India to pay people's salaries. But it was oh, just like a lot of goodwill and sacrifice <laughs> together uh, with partnerships uh, that we had on the ground. That we were able yeah. to continue the work, uh, even I mean, with these limitations. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they, they must really like you <laughs> or believe in the cause that you've, that you've established to go a full year um, working without salary to get this organization off the ground. That's incredible. You, you hear a lot of solo founder initial years, but uh, to have other people supporting you in that initial venture for something. How did you convince them?
0: Uh, Well, you know, these are former NGO and in some cases, even these fresh grad folks. And yeah, they did have needs for themselves (laughs) and for their families. And yeah, it was just more about them having a shared vision of what was possible. And of course, (laughs) hoping that in the not so distant future that their bills would get paid.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad it worked out. I'm guessing after the first year, TAU started to pick up a little bit of traction and got a little bit more momentum. Is that right?
0: Yeah. And, you know, like one of the things that we also learned in that first phase or that first year or so was that initially we were approaching sort of how we were working in the field in much the same way that we were when we were researchers. We were basically mm. deploying our team members into the offices of our partners at a state or district level. And this was cool because it kind of like built a lot of our own internal capacity as a forming team. But on the other mm. hand, it ended up not building a a lot of ownership amongst our partners because anything that seemed Mm video-related seemed like that you should just give it to this digital green person who is sitting in my office. So after that first year, we actually pulled out of our our team, out of Mm -hmm. our partners' offices uh, to maintain proximity, but with some distance (laughs) so that our partners could really (laughs) drive the program because ultimately it is theirs. Uh, But we providing the various types of training and backstopping support to kind of get the whole thing up and running. And you can you could see the numbers in terms of how we were scaling kind of be super slow (laughs) for like those first uh, year or two that we had spun off and then really accelerate once we had kind of pulled ourselves a bit out.
1: Awesome. Great to hear. And one of the things that I find interesting about your intervention as well is, you know, when you're in a product company, if you have one specific intervention, it's kind of easy to say, hey, this is the thing that we do. You're doing something else. You know, That's not really my job. I have the sense that Digital Green, however, is a very versatile organization. You don't just do the videos. You do a lot of different things in the ag space. Do you ever feel yourself getting pulled in closer, even against your wishes? Is it hard to draw that clear line between you and your partners?
0: Um, I would say that our partners generally see us for that one thing, <laughs> which is oh. for our video <laughs> approach. We uh, at Digital Green are always trying to stretch ourselves to be like, that doesn't seem like good enough. There's, uh, there's, there's incremental value that videos can certainly have with respect to like farmers learning about new info and applying these practices to increase their productivity or income. But, but right. we certainly recognize like, you know, agriculture is some complex ecosystem um, that Requires you to be thinking about what else can you do, and that—that's why we've pursued these other paths. I think much to the chagrin of our partners, I believe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I would, I would love to hear a little bit more about some of these experiments that you've taken, Rick, you tell me a little bit about some of the other things that you do.
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, like one one example is um, a Facebook game that we created. This was at the heyday of huh. uh, Farmville and Cityville types of games that you know uh, Zynga was publishing. <laughs> And we created our own game (laughs) that was called Wonder Village. And the motivation for creating this game was uh, to say that... It would be awesome. It would be awesome, obviously. (laughs) But also uh, (laughs) that there's this changing demographic in these um, markets that we work in, right? Including in India, that uh, urban populations are uh, exceeding even rural populations. And so just like in the West, there's a growing disconnect between these two disparate communities. So we wanted to see if there's a way to bring them together uh, via a Facebook game where you could build a virtual village economy uh, and along the way, connect virtually with our, the farmers that we work with uh, in the oh. form of village gurus who you'd have to involve <laughs> to help build your village kind of as a community together.
1: How fascinating. And it was a way of connect, of what was the motivation for connecting the urban and rural communities?
0: Well, so the urban folks were the ones who were on Facebook um, and playing such Facebook games. And then these village uh, communities that we work with were largely offline at the time. Um, And through this concept of village gurus who are offline and you playing with your friends this Facebook game, you could basically learn and follow a farmer as you're building this virtual village economy. You get to follow a farmer uh, as they're watching videos in the real world uh, and get to see what practices they do or don't do. Um, to kind of build your virtual village economy
1: together. That's awesome. I'll have to give it a try. I'm, you know, my dirty little secret is I'm a big Farmville fan. (laughs) And that is, in fact, my only connection to agriculture at this point in my life. It's real. (laughs) (laughs) Rican, I also heard something somewhere about a reality TV show that maybe Digital Green was involved in. Is it legend? Is it myth? Is it true?
0: It's true. We did end up producing a 13-episode a reality TV show that was broadcast on four major networks of India. Oh, wow. So serious television. Indeed. And we started with 12 college age contestants uh, who basically had to do a challenge each episode and one or two of them would get kicked off each episode. And there were things like uh, you have to set up a drip irrigation kit or you have to produce a video with some farmers and, and see what kind of receptivity you get. Uh, Again, the same same idea as the Wonder Village Facebook game that I mentioned. Uh, The idea was to see how could you bring these urban audience who end up watching such shows with these rural communities in a fun sort of an educational format.
1: They must have done terribly. I'm (laughs) trying to imagine how I would do it. They must have done terribly. uh, Most of them, yes. But there
0: was (laughs) one or two of them who actually got even more into the sector of agricultural development at the end.
1: Wow, that's awesome. How do you keep up this spirit of is it innovation or is it fun or is it creativity but like just even the idea you know i'm trying to imagine another organization which would even come up with the idea of doing a reality tv show i know you're in video and you're known for video and as you're you know in the day to day grind of setting up an organization and paying the bills and doing projects and such where do you get the the time or the inspiration to come up with these new kinds of experiments
0: i think it's from a realization that agriculture is changing so quickly, um, as are these communities that we work with. And we keep pushing ourselves to say that there's more to be done. And we can't just focus on, you know, one or two pieces of the puzzle. I would say that, you know, 80% of the things that we've tried have failed. (laughs) Uh, But but yet, we still keep trying, uh, because we know that the problem is so vast, that uh, we can't help ourselves to say that we've got to at least make shots in the dark uh, to to, to huh. try.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I wonder what I'm curious to hear from you is I have the sense that there's a bit of a blue ocean in terms of things that have yet to be tried in this sector. Do you also have that sense or do you feel like it's, it's slowly filling up now? There's a lot more organizations doing a lot more things in the space.
0: There is a lot more action in the space compared to when we started. When we started there was literally just a couple of ICT for agricultural interventions that you could count on your hand in markets like India. Now there's more than 600 agricultural startups in India that Ooh. have gotten 500 million dollars worth of investment in just the last one year alone. Wow. And they're all wow. working on various parts of, you know, the agricultural development ecosystem from drone startups to agricultural financing to marketplaces, the whole gamut. I would say, (laughs) yeah, it's a a vast variety. But I would say that the thing that drives us in terms of the direction that we focus on is somewhat based on our own experience. For instance, the video work, it seems like maybe out of nowhere, but in a lot of ways, even when I had my own dreams of wanting to go to space. Where did those come from? They were from watching old 1960s grainy footage of astronauts walking on the surface of the moon that inspired me to like want to study science and engineering to follow in their footsteps. And in the same way, we ended up with video or even like this reality TV show and Wonder Village. It's sort of like an empathetic thing to say that we play these games. (laughs) We, (laughs) we, We derive entertainment as well as other types of value from them is there a way that they can also ex- be extended into these communities that we're serving as well so that there's that unique dimension i think that we take in terms of the explorations that we focus on
1: nice that sounds like a lot of fun it sounds like a like a stiff set of competition or players you know the space is much more crowded as you've said what does that mean for digital green today i'm sure it's gone through a lot of different incarnations and iterations over the past Thirteen years.
0: Yeah, it's it's really, It's really different now with all these uh, different players in the space. It's super exciting, I think, because of the new talent and the sort of resources that have entered into this space. And I think it's extremely positive for the agricultural sector in general.
1: It's a huge sector. There's lots of good work to be done. A huge
0: sector. There's no real competition in that respect, but it does force us as an organization to think about what role do we want to have in the world. We're a not-for-profit organization and We're not particularly interested in competing with the private sector for things that the private sector can do and do well. What we're focusing on are primarily like these two big elephant in the room issues that exist today. One is inequality for these farming communities. There are issues of access, agency, and assets that these especially smallholder farmers have uh, and that are only worsening over time. And the second is climate change, which is a huge issue that these farmers obviously are already facing um, and will only get worse for them in the days to come.
1: Can you talk a bit more about the climate change piece?
0: Yeah, for sure. There's issues that these farmers face, both with respect to adapting uh, to the realities of changed weather patterns and soil conditions and the like, as well as being also uh, real contributors towards mitigating the effects of, of climate change, given that agriculture is a, is a major source of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, mm. And so we see our role not really as um, to kind of chart our own course vis-a-vis the, this growing ecosystem ag, of ag startups and ag businesses and others, but to really see how can we help to connect the dots between these different organizations who might be working on different parts of the puzzle uh, mm-hmm. and using data, Uh, as a way to kind of bring these groups together, right? So one of the big challenges that these agri-tech startups face is, they might have a brilliant idea, but like, how do I actually start in a particular community? Which community should I start with? And how do I establish relationships with them? And and what do I know as like, what was existing interventions that were already taking place in those uh, locations? Mm -hmm. If what we're trying to build is something that we call FarmStack as a means for farmers to gain control over their own data, and share it with various third parties of their own choice to drive greater coordination and complementarity amongst players in the sector.
1: Wow, it's fascinating to me just the degree with which you're able to innovate and to experiment. I'm curious what success you're striving for. You know, like when your team looks to you for, uh, you know, for like what, are, where we're are we going next, or what's the thing to try. Like, how do you how do you point them in the right direction of where you're headed?
0: The ultimate vision for us is to see how can these communities themselves gain greater decision-making power to make the choices that they desire uh, without organizations awesome. like us or our partners telling them, you should watch this video or you should connect to this market. <laughs> um, certainly yes. there's a long way to go there, but our, our, our vision as an organization is, is to work ourselves out of
1: a job ultimately. That's awesome. That's great to hear. Speaking to some of the young professionals that might be listening to this podcast, do you have any advice Um, For other young folks looking to use technology to do good, particularly in the agricultural space?
0: I think the single most important thing is just to immerse yourself into these uh, rural communities because there is uh, so much to learn from the work that is already taking place by the farmers, communities, as well as those that work with them, just spending more time with them.
1: Nice. I couldn't agree more. Do you have any requests for donors or policymakers who might be listening to this podcast? I think
0: the most important thing is to really focus on how do we build people's as agency, especially farmers, and not just these impact indicators like improving farmer productivity or income. Because if we can improve agency, all these other things of, of income and uh, s- sustainability and resilience will follow.
1: Nice. Speaking on the technology side, can you recommend somebody else's tool or technology that you found useful in your work?
0: A digital study hall. It was only because (laughs) of them that we were able to conceive of translating it to agriculture.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a pretty, had a pretty big influence on your life. Speaking to other implementers or organizations working in the agriculture space and looking at all the different interventions that you've been a part of, is there a common implementation mistake that you'd like to highlight?
0: I think too often uh, there's a focus on disintermediation to try to go straight uh, to the farmer um, without Hmm. working through the local ecosystem of markets and extension agents and other players uh, that are out there. And I really think that the value that tech can bring in terms of an amplifier is by layering it on top of the good work that others are already doing.
1: Looking ahead to the future, is there a trend uh, in the ICT for Ag space that you'd encourage people to watch out for?
0: Um, So I think in general, there's a trend in the agricultural space where you're seeing greater (laughs) greater and greater consolidation um, of both farmers and also uh, organizations that work with farmers like agribusiness. They're just getting the bigger, getting bigger, and the smaller kind of getting further and further sort of disenfranchised. Um, And I think there's a real opportunity of using technology to build systems that can work in decentralized fashions to actually enable greater participation of of individual smallholders than they have in the past.
1: Would you like to give a shout out to another mover or shaker in this space?
0: I'd shout out to uh, Vanajal Ramprasad, who was our first collaborator at Digital Green. It's actually the way our name came about. Uh, She ran an NGO called Green Foundation, and that was our very first Partner uh, that we conducted this research that we did when we were part of Microsoft just outside of Bangalore. And we were basically adding the digital layer to her Green Foundations' work, and that's how we became Digital Green.
1: That's awesome. And as any academic can attest to, having a good partner is such an important part of getting intervention off the ground and really getting grid data back. Totally. Can you recommend a book, an article, a blog, or a podcast, either related to your work or from personal interest for the audience?
0: I'd recommend Kentaro's book, Geek Heresy, Rescuing uh, Social Change from the Cult of Technology. It's a great book that speaks to the kind of work that we, as well as others, certainly have found to be impactful.
1: Why do you like the book?
0: Ah, he gives us a plug and I also like the title. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Great. so well, that's all of our questions. We can, if any of our guests wanted to find out more information about you or your work, what's the best place for them to do that?
0: Check out our website, digitalgreen.org and Do feel free to reach out to me directly, uh, Rickin at digitalgreen.org. Happy to explore partnerships or ways to exchange notes um, or brainstorm ideas. Always excited to share whether you're in the agricultural sector or beyond.
1: Nice. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on our show today, Rickin. I really appreciate your time. This was fascinating to hear your story. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to see firsthand some of the other experiments and ideas that Digital Green has tried, check out our show notes on Aidevolved.com. And if you have any comments or questions, you want to hear more or fewer episodes about agriculture, for example, feel free to drop me a note on Twitter at Aidevolved or via email at podcast at Aidevolved.com. We'll see you next time. Bye.